What? You didn't know that? Yeah, okay. You didn't know who you were working with here. Okay. You're like, enough. Just preach. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. We are going through the Lord's Prayer. And this is our sixth week uh, through the prayer. We go, we've been going phrase by phrase. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray this together. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. But we're going to pray it at the beginning and we're going to pray it at the end. And so if you would, let's make sure that this is, this is prayer. This is sincerity. This isn't something rote. But these are the words that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. So would you join me in praying these words? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, and so Jesus, we need you. Would you teach us tonight just as you taught them on that afternoon when you were preaching the Sermon on the Mount? I've been to that mountainside in, in Galilee. Lord, would you, would you speak to us somehow by your spirit? Would you move in and talk to us tonight as you talk to your followers? Challenge us. Change us. Make us clean again. Make us new again. Make us fresh again. Make us tender again. Make us holy, we pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said again, amen. Amen. Today, we're looking at that phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer up to this point has been, it has been beautiful. It's been delightful to learn to pray our Father, that we're children in God's world and he takes care of us and he's our provider. And we, we then say, hallowed be thy name. Everywhere we are, Lord, we want this to be holy ground. And we wanna, we wanna hallow your name in our schools and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. Hallowed be thy name. And we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And God, you gotta feed us today. Would you give us food and would you give us forgiveness? This is what we've prayed so far. Food, you know to meet our needs. And Lord, you know we will have sinned. And you know that we will have people who have sinned against us. And so would you give us food? Would you give us sustenance in our bodies? But would you also give us spiritual sustenance? Would you make us alive again? Forgive us and help us to forgive. Beautiful prayer. All of this is this daily rhythm of praying our way into the presence of the Lord. But here we come to this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And of all the phrases of the Lord's Prayer, this one has a bit of a foreboding mystique to it. The, the, the beautiful symphony of prayer that we've been praying up to this point now changes to a minor key. Temptation, evil, 
darkness. It's naming the truth of the world. It's naming the truth of the fall. It's naming the truth of the fall that has infected our own beings. Temptation and evil. This prayer spooked some people, this phrase over the years. You know, why would we even have to pray this? Like, don't, don't lead us into temptation and deliver us from evil. Like, is God some sort of masochistic deity out there who's trying to trip us up and set the bar too high and he wants to glory in us tripping as we try to jump over? Like, deliver us from evil. Don't put us in temptation. This phrase is meant to remind us, I think, that a battle is always raging in and around us. I don't know if you've read the newspaper recently. There's a battle always raging in and around humanity. Israel and Palestine right now. God have mercy. God bring peace. What in the world? Centuries old, millennia old battle. Lord God Almighty, bring peace. There's a battle raging in and all around us. Poverty in the streets and, and homelessness and, and darkness and, and, and just drug cartels taking over temptation and evil. They're all around us. And this prayer that Jesus gives us names those realities. And I want to suggest that at this close of this meaningful prayer, Jesus reminds us it's this important reminder and a call to action. And I think there are three things that are happening here that I want you to see tonight. There's many different threads we could tug, but I want to say three simple things tonight. And here's the first thing about this phrase. It's that the devil wants to destroy us through temptation. We have gotten so precious in the body of Christ in the, in the West these days. And, you know, because typically our, our, you know, bills are paid most of the time and we've got great health care most of the time and, you know, people are living longer than ever. Very often it's easy in situations like ours to get real precious with the faith and go, oh, you know, God is this cosmic Santa Claus and everything's just fine and he's dishing out, you know, you know just pull the lever and whatever you want. He, like, there is an enemy that wants to destroy us. <laughs> we see Genesis 3, this beautiful garden, Genesis 1 and 2, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good. Seven times we see that. And he saw that it was good. Genesis 3, this little snake slithering up. Whatever it was like, who knows, I wasn't there. But the image of this seductive, slithering enemy who wants to lead us astray. Did God really say? Come, I, that is so ancient and precious. Like, this is your garden. You can do whatever you want. You just take the story into your own hands and write your own truth and live your own. Just, it, and, and the enemy goes, come on, Adam and Eve. That, that's stupid. You can write your own story. And they saw that the apple was pleasing to the eye and good for food. And, and, and it was, it was going to give them wisdom. And so they took the story into their own hands. The enemy wants to tempt us and to destroy us. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Paul or Peter later in the New Testament would say, be alert and of sober mind. Christians, wake up, he says. Don't sleep on the devil. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Are we paying attention. There is an enemy who has a vested interest in our lives being destroyed. 
Then Jesus is led out into the wilderness to fast and to pray. Jesus, God of very God and man of very man, comes in and he enters into human temptation. He goes out into the wilderness where he fasts and prays for 40 days and the enemy comes to him. Matthew 4, verse 3, look at this. The tempter came to him and said, if you, surely you aren't the son of God, but, but if you are, show off. If you are, let's, let, let's power display here. Fireworks, let's go for it. Let's live it up. You got to prove it. If you are the son of God, the tempter is dangling this carrot in front of Jesus. Jesus, who is 40 days and 40 nights without food and water, and he's, he's on the brink. He's ready to collapse. His, his spirit is willing, but his flesh is now officially weak. The tempter comes to him, and if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice that temptation always touches us in a place of genuine need. Jesus was hungry. The devil didn't come to him and say, hey, if you're you're really the son of God, why don't you embezzle some money right now? That wouldn't have touched Jesus in a place. If you are the son of God, let let me remind you of something that you really long for right now. Let me give you something that you really desire right now. Let me touch you in a place where you're really aching right now. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus, feed yourself. Jesus, cut a corner. Jesus, move out of your trust of the Father and move into self-reliance and go into this new gear. Jesus, take the story into your own hands. Temptation always touches us in a place of genuine need. We, friends, it's okay to say we have needs. We need money. We got to live. We got to pay our rent. We got to have a house over, a roof over our head. We got to get groceries in the pantry. We need money. And so some people resort to bribery or thievery or embezzlement. It's a genuine need. But the enemy, the tempter comes to us and he tries to get us to cut a corner. He tries to get us to move out of reliance on God into self-reliance. We need intimacy. We, we need intimacy. We're made in the image of God, the God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself is a constant ecstatic celebration of love. God is communion, Father, Son, Holy. We need intimacy. And so some of us resort to promiscuity and pornography and perversion. We genuinely have a need, but many of us cut a corner to try to fulfill that need. The enemy always tempts us in a place of genuine need. We need a sense of security. And so some of us resort to manipulation and power grabbing and trying to step on other people's heads so that we can make sure that we are okay even if it costs other people along the way. Temptation always touches us in a place of genuine need. And I'll just say to you that sin is any attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. It's real. We need this stuff. Legitimate needs. Intimacy, finances, friendship, kindness. We need security. We, we need all of this stuff. But sin is us sort of taking this legitimate need that we have, this built-in God-given thing, and trying to meet it in an illegitimate way. The tempter always comes to us and tries to touch us in places of genuine need. And Jesus could have said in that moment, I need food. I'm 
Father, what are you doing to me out here? I need food and taken a stone and turned it into bread. He could have done that. Instead, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. I need the word of God more than I need the next meal. I need you. I need you to be my sustainer. I need to not cut a corner. I need to wait a long game and trust that you'll work it out in the end. Father, I want to cut a corner, but into your hands I commit my spirit. I will not. Fasting is saying, Lord, I need you more than I need that next bite of food. Lord, I'm tempted to chase love in all the wrong places. So would you help me? Would you be my security? Would you be my intimacy? Would you speak to me tonight? Father, father over son, father over daughter. This is my daughter. I need to hear who I am from you and not from somebody else. Sin is any attempt to meet a legitimate need, which we all have in illegitimate ways that will destroy our lives. The devil wants to destroy us through temptation, and so we take up these words on our lips. Lord, please lead me not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. When you find yourself on the brink, call out, lead me not. Father, help, deliver me from evil. When the devil's backing you against the wall, deliver me from evil, help. Call out on the name of the Lord and be saved. We need discernment in these hours to know what a shortcut is, to know what an illegitimate way is of meeting a legitimate need. We need to ask God to show us where the enemy is trying to seduce us and to tempt us and to lure us away into a life that is ultimate destruction. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. The devil wants to destroy us through temptation, but the second thing I want you to see tonight is that the Lord wants to develop us through testing. There's a difference between temptation and testing. I've, I've shown it to you here kind of briefly in these first two points, but I wanna just ask explicitly, what's the difference between temptation and testing? The purpose of a temptation is to destroy you. The purpose of a test is to develop you. Imagine a world without testing. We hear testing and I'm automatically back in my senior year of high school walking into that cold, dark public school room to take that ACT and I know what I've got to score to be able to collect my full ride that Oral Roberts University had offered to me and I'm just, uh, I'm just afraid I'm going to get one point below it. Anyone ever been in a test and you're like, Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> Whew, I mean, people who don't even pray, you know, Crossing yourself and anointing yourself with oil. and well, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'll take what I can get. Tests. Driver's test. I failed my first one. My dad likes to remind me of that. <laughs> Mercifully, I haven't been in a wreck in you know, 22 years. Whew, tests. Imagine, though, a world without testing. Imagine a school without tests and spelling tests and math tests. Imagine your kids' teachers saying to them, it's no big deal, just spell it how you want to spell it. Make it your own, baby. Live your own truth. AKA be jobless the rest of your life. Math is just an oppressive cultural construct. You, gotta, you just feel your way through it. You just gotta, you know, just, just get off of me. No, kids, we believe in you, and so we're going to test you so that we can get you ready for the world. I love you so much to test you. (laughs) 
I love you so much, Wilson, to let you learn how to ride that bike, knowing that the first time it's gonna cost you just a little bit. I'm gonna make it so that it doesn't cost you too much, but I'm not going to keep it from costing you because this is how you learn. This is how you grow. This is how you mature. This is how you learn that the world works this way. This is how you learn that, that there are consequences to bad decisions. Like, like learn how to fail well in safe places so that when you get out into the world, you don't fail big time. God loves us enough to put us in situations that, that are gonna tighten the screws on us and make us pray. And make us ask for help and make us seek wisdom and ask for discernment and read books and go find a financial planner and go like, mom and dad, what do you think I should do? God, would, God loves us enough to not relieve the pressure. God is not a helicopter parent. Oh, let me just. Oh, I just, you're so precious. I just want to keep. No. I'm with you. And then when we go a little bit too far, he goes, let me know how that works out for you. God loves us enough to test us. Testing is good for us and it's good for the people we were made to serve. Imagine yourself going into a surgery with a doctor that's never been tested. Imagine yourself sending your kids to a school with teachers that have never been tested. Imagine trusting your money to a financial planner that's never been tested. Imagine yourself being represented by a lawyer that's never been tested. Imagine getting a root canal by a dentist that's never been tested. Imagine flying on a plane with a pilot that's never been tested. Imagine listening to a sermon by a pastor that's never been tested. God save us. Testing is good for us and it's good for the people God made us to serve. Anyone ever hiked the incline? I love the incline. I hate the incline. It's just, I remember going to the incline the first time. Moved here 16 years ago. I just finished college athletics. I was, you know, I was looking good. I've kind of, you know, packed it on a little bit. Got a little sloppy. Got my dad bod working. But back then I was, you know, and I heard it was a mile, the incline, a mile. It's like a mile. It's a mile. Do anything. Mile? What? What's my worst mile going to be? Like 10 minutes? <laughs> I got out there, I started running the first steps, like 12 steps later, I was like, I'm just going to kind of stretch it out. We're at altitude here. <sighs> 40 minutes later, I fall to the top step, you know, like, I, I hate the incline and I love the incline. Part of me hates it, most of me hates it, but when I'm done, I'm a monster. <laughs> right? Have you ever felt just like, you're like peacocking up at the top of the incline, like, whoo, shando, you know, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, somebody burning fire. I'm, I'm at the, you know. This is why we love sports because testing, when you see someone pushed to the test, let me show you this picture of this woman here. Uh, can you put, put up this? Anyone remember Carrie Strug? Lisa was in the building that night. Atlanta, 1996, she was a high school kid and she had jacked up her ankle and she had to go out and she's got to stick this last one. And if she does, they win the gold medal and they beat those Russians and Bella Caroli's there on the sideline going, come on, Carrie. And she's running out there and she sticks it and she lands and she, I mean, look at her face. 
Testing is good. And it draws the very best out of you if you will let it. Michael Jordan, the flu game, game five against the Jazz. He, he, you know, 1997, he's won a few championships by this point, but now he's got the flu and he goes for 38, torches them. And then the next night they win the championship. A test is good for us. It calls the very best out of us. And this is what we see from God. He is the one who develops people. Noah, come on, bro. Let's build this thing. Come on, Abram and Sarai. I know you're real comfortable in Ur of the Chaldees, but I see something in you. Go to a land I will show you. Let's go. Ruth, step in. Show up. You got this, Ruth. I'm with you. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I know it looks like you're by yourself. And I know it looks like that you've got to fight for you. I, I will be your God. You will be my daughter. Let's go, Ruth. And Ruth and Hannah. Hannah rises to the occasion. King David rises to the occasion. God loves to develop people. And he does it through a test, pressing them, calling them, making them more. And Jesus himself steps into this moment, Matthew 4, verse 1. Now Jesus was led by the devil into the wilderness because the devil wanted to mess with him. No. Now Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And then Jesus calls these disciples. Hey, James and John, thank you. Go ahead and drop those nets. Leave your dad's business. Come and follow me. And they do it. What in the world? This is absolutely asinine. This is stupid. In the ancient world, you don't dishonor your family like that. And you certainly don't walk away from your future inheritance like that. Except when you see in God's blazing eyes a test that was made for you. And they leave their nets and they go to be fishers of people. And Peter and Mary, Mary rises up. Mary, the mother, just carries the son of God, a test. And here we are because she was faithful in the test. Brothers and sisters, testing is so good for us. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not praying to be delivered from testing. We're praying to be delivered from destruction. Let me give you another translation. Here's how you could translate this phrase. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Do not put us in a situation where we are bound to fail. That's what this means. Not take it easy on me, God. Not be precious with me, God. Not, you know, keep me in training wheels my whole life so that I'll ever skin up my knee, God. No, like I'll, I'll follow you into the test, but don't you dare put me in a situation where I'm bound to fail. Imagine having a child a little 18-month-old, and, you know, I just want to put them in a test, you know, test them, get them started, get them ready for the world, and you take them down to the foot of Pike's Peak, and you say, I'll see you up there in 12 hours. <laughs> that is a situation where you are bound to fail. That is not testing. That's, that's stupid. That's tyranny. That's, that's a masochist. That, don't worship that God. If a God would do that to you, he is not to be worshiped. But if a God will lead you into this situation and say, I believe in you and I am with you and never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And sure, it's gonna feel like there's, there's moments where your life is gonna fall apart, but I will, I will be your bread and I will be your water. And you come to the edge of the Red Sea and it looks like you see the dust cloud coming up behind you and you think, sure, now we're gonna get ripped back into Egypt and somehow the water splits and you walk through on dry ground and you get out 
out into the desert and you don't know where it's going to come from in 40 years and, you know, quail, manna, water coming out of rocks, okay. And then you cross over the Jordan into the, into the promised land. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And it might cost you some along the way, but you'll be better for it. God loves us enough to test us. Do not put us in a situation where we're bound to fail. If we'll sign up for the test, God will draw out of us the very best. First thing, the devil wants to destroy you through temptation. The devil wants to develop, or the, the Lord wants to develop us through testing. But the third thing that I wanna see, want us to see tonight is that the Lord has called us to intercessory prayer. We have not been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer to take you through these nice little commentaries and these precious little studies and, oh, you know, academically and abstractly talk about prayer. We have, we have put this prayer in front of us so that we can learn how to pray again. So that we can go into our room and shut the door and call on the name of the Lord again. So that we can intercede. So that we can call out for the salvation of the world. God has made us his people to be intercessors. Abraham and Sarah were intercessors in a world gone mad. Their nephew Lot lost his mind. And here they are interceding for him. And he's down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that place had lost their mind. And Abraham and Sarah are on the fringes of the city saying, God, deliver them. God, save them. God, bring you, God... Please have mercy, O oh Lord. And God keeps giving mercy and keeps giving mercy and keeps giving mercy. And finally, these people say, we don't want none of it. Here they are as intercessors. Moses was an intercessor in a world gone mad. Esther, Persia was about to execute. It was another Holocaust, the first Holocaust. They were about to kill all the Jews in Persia. And Esther goes in for such a time as this, she had been made. And she stands up in front of the king and says, save my people, let my people go. Do not kill my people. She was an intercessor and we have been made to be intercessors, friends. The Lord's prayer is not precious moments, passive prayer. It's a prayer of intercession. And I've sensed it's time for me in my own life to pick my fervency back up. You know, the older you get and the more responsibilities you have, you can, you can take the weight of the world on. You got kids to feed and soccer and all this stuff and, and work and, and just, and, and you can lose your fervency. You can keep the lights on, but your soul goes dark. Have you ever, have, I just know that this is a threat. The older you get, you can, you can keep the lights on, but lose your soul, lose your fervency, lose your fire, lose your first love, lose the reason that you got into this for the first, in the first place. I just love Jesus. And I'm gonna tell everybody that I bump into. I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And as we get older and as the cares of the world stack on top of us, we just kind of lose our voices. And I've sensed the Lord stirring me. Come on, wake up. Let's pray again. Let's feel it again. Let's fast and pray again. Let's give sacrificially, like make it hurt again. Because when we do that, we come back to life. Ephesians 6, finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So take up the full armor of God. Let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith with which you can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Read your 
Bibles and pray the scriptures and let the helmet of salvation keep your mind and pray in the spirit on all occasions. Let's go, says God. Let's go. I just heard a story just today. God Almighty. My dad, mom flew back to Tulsa last week to bury a longtime friend. They had written in their will and they'd said to my dad, Mom, we want you to bury us. So they got on a plane and went back to Tulsa. These people were in my dad's choir for 20 years. They've known him forever. They've done global missions, just salt of the earth kingdom people, hidden heroes. You would never know their name, but Jesus does. And she was dying And he, Ron, was taking care of her, hospice bed in their home. And he was taking care of her and he was so exhausted he ended up having three strokes and they get two hospice beds in the living room. Ron ends up entering his rest days before his wife. She just died, was it two days ago? Last night? Both of them entered their rest in the last week. They've got five kids and the five kids are working so hard and trying to sort out the estate. You know, planning two funerals in a week, God have mercy. And this guy, their, their son, Joe, he, I've known Joe my whole life and he's this guy I look up to. He's, he's at an LED lighting company, 25 employees, knocking it down, working hard, paying people, you know, just doing kingdom stuff. And it, since COVID, his business has come to a grinding halt. And he, he's sitting here thinking, I've got to fire 25 people. I, I don't know if I'm going to eat. So he's burying his two parents. He's about to fire 25 people. He's heartbroken in every way you can imagine. And he walks into the house and there's a hospice nurse doing her job. And she's a First Nation Indian woman. And she sees this guy, Joe, and the Holy Spirit says, you lay hands on him and pray for him. She's there to be a nurse, but she knows the Holy Spirit. And she goes to him, she goes, young man, the Lord, the Holy Spirit told me to pray for you. She didn't, she didn't know his story. She's, I might get fired, but the Holy Spirit said to pray for you. She starts praying for him and she, lead him not into temptation, deliver him from evil. Lord, deliver him from evil. Here he is in the, in the worst situation of his life with his two most important, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, deliver him from evil. She's interceding, she's a nurse, interceding for this man. Joe called my mom and just said, the next day, I got a call from a school district. And they said, we need you to do all of our buildings. We need new lighting in all of our buildings. Next day, hang on. Praise Jesus, it gets better. (laughs) Next day, day after, another school district calls him out of nowhere, never worked with him. We need you to do all of our buildings. The next day, he got a call from a huge warehouse that said, we need all new LED lighting. He said, I went from having to get ready to fire 25 employees to I have worked for two years. In three days, this woman says, lead him not into temptation, Lord, but deliver him from evil. For thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and thine is the glory. Guys, we gotta pray. We gotta pray. We gotta go for it again. And, and we are so tempted by the devil to waste our lives right now. Hey, get on Facebook and get mad. Because that's gonna change the world. 
That is garbage from the devil. That is a stupid snake that slithered up and whispered in our ears, thinking that we're making a difference. You are wasting your kingdom energy when you could be doing, lay hands on someone, talk to someone, get, pay someone's rent, be nice. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And I just, I'm gonna land the plane here. The band's gonna come and we're gonna sing this thing out. But I just know that it's time for us to get our souls back. It's time for us to get our prayer life back. It's time for us to be intercessory people of God afresh. It's time for us to make a difference in the world and to know actually how we're going to be able to make a difference in the world and to say no to all the, all the turn the stone into bread, garbage. We're going to say, Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We will intercede. We will wait on our Father. We will do the risky thing. And friends, when the church lives like this, the world gets changed. And so, Lord Jesus, we need your help. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I pray tonight, deliver us from distraction. Deliver us from anger. In a world that is drunk on rage, deliver us from anger. Deliver us from anger. Make us intercessors again. Make us clean again. Make us people who would rather fall on our knees than get online and get mad. Heal us to the deepest places. And Lord, we invite you. We, we're not looking for, we're not, Gluttons for punishment, but Lord, we trust you with whatever tests you have for us. We trust you. We're not asking for, for anything. We're not trying to force a crisis, but Lord, we, we trust you with wherever you want to lead us, with however you want to teach us. So Lord, I pray that you'd make us a people that are ready for the test. Make us a people who pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me tonight, church? If you'd get your communion elements ready. We're gonna sing overcome here in just a second. We're gonna overcome. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We're gonna, we're gonna overcome. We're gonna make it. But tonight, Jesus is here to feed us and to restore us and to refresh us. So Jesus, I want you to imagine yourself sitting with him at the Last Supper across the table. Can you close your eyes right now and envision it? Can you make eye contact with Jesus tonight? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. Can you see him taking the loaf of bread and breaking it? Crumbs flying around everywhere. And he looks across the table at you and me and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I'm going first. I'm going into the test first. I would never ask you to do something that I will not go to the bottom of first. This is my body, which is broken for you. And I'll make it so that you can live this kind of broken life for the world. Jesus, would you feed us tonight? Would you nourish us tonight? 
in the temptation and in the, in, the, in the wilderness and the difficulty as it comes, Lord, we pray that you would be the one that feeds us. Friends, you can receive the bread tonight from Jesus. You can open that cup and go back to envisioning Jesus sitting at the table with you. On that same night, he took the glass of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. Essentially what he's saying is, it's not going to cost anyone more than it costs me. It's given in my blood. My blood. My blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. All the damage the tempter has done to us up to this point, Jesus says it's cared for, it's taken care of, it's, it's removed, it's washed away. It's given for the remission of your sins and as often as you do this, remember that, remember me. So Jesus, we need you to forgive us. Would you just have a moment there where you're asking the Lord to cleanse you, and to wash you, to renew you. Lord, we repent. We have not done everything we should have done and there have been things that we have done that we shouldn't have done. Forgive us. And Jesus says, here's the cup. Your sins are forgiven. You may receive tonight. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's sing, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Revelations, scripture says that the saints overcame by two things, the blood of the lamb, yes. the word of their testimony, not by their striving, not by their do-goodness, but simply by the blood of Jesus and the fact that we have a story to tell. And let me encourage you tonight after that amazing message, what awaits for you on the other side of your test is your testimony. Amen? Yes. Let's sing this song in confidence and faith tonight.
save us, for us to keep to ourselves. But He's sending us out. about seven more minutes I let you sit down for 30 minutes you're fine okay this is I, I want to invite the Linscom family up here tonight would you give it up for Jordan and Mindy and their four children you want to hear this story so 
I've known this family 20, 21 years. Went to college with Jordan and Mindy, went on a mission trip together, saw them fall in love, got to stand in their wedding 16 years ago, lived on the same dorm floor with Jordan. Like, these are our people. And they got the worst news they could imagine six years ago with Brody, my man here. And I wanna show you these pictures. Give us that first picture. Brody was diagnosed with anaplastic large cell lymphoma, which is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so next picture, they called on the elders of the church. There's Scott Palmer and anointed him with oil. Three years old, Lord, have mercy, save him. Please God, please God, please God. Next picture, he's got his armor of God, shield of faith breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation is pacifier with Pastor Christine King doing what only she can do, caring for him and honoring him and blessing him. Next picture, the Palmer's over here. Jordan, would you take us on the story, on the journey? Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, so Brody was two years old at that time. Um, we were in, in the throes of life. Blake was just born two months earlier, and so we were grateful that he had arrived, um, but we're concerned that something was wrong. And so we had to push for answers. We had to just self-admit to the hospital uh, and got the horrible news that it was a cancer. I knew lymphoma was bad. I didn't even know know what it was exactly when I heard that news. Um, This guy right here is one of the first people that I called. And I just wanted to say thank you to him, to his family, to this church for the way they came alongside of us. Because you don't know know what to say exactly even in some of those moments. And so we had a hard journey. Cancer is hard. Childhood cancer comes with a lot of extra layers of difficulty. And in that, um, we had to go through 12 months of chemotherapy for Brody. Uh, we, out of that, then they said, it's going to be five years of us monitoring and seeing if he stays in remission and how the treatment goes. Um, and so in that season, we just had a lot of tests. We had a lot of challenges. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll say briefly too, you know, if you ever hear somebody say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Tonight's message was perfect because that's a scripture about temptation. But the reality is we live in a fallen world in which we are invited in to help with the restoration of all things, but sometimes just hard things happen. And that's where we were at in a test season during that time. And so um, we are grateful to, to God. We're grateful to you as a church family. We're grateful to, uh, for the prayers in Denver Children, uh, Children's Hospital Colorado in Denver at that time. Um, but, it, but it was hard. We had our, our seasons of, of pain, and a lot of you walked through that with us. We watched services from the hospital. Uh, many of you came and visited. So tonight, we just wanted to come up and testify and tell you that March was the five-year mark of remission. Thank God. So we thank God for that, how he's taken us all through this whole journey. Uh, Their son, Bear, Brody, Blake, it's our daughter, Brooklyn. And um, we're extremely grateful. We didn't know how this was going to turn out. And it's by God's grace alone. And so uh, we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. My wife, Mindy, wanted to share a bit as well. Well, I just had to say thank you because we thought about how could we celebrate. This is seriously a miracle on stage. I know so many of you guys came alongside. So 
I have to just say, we have to celebrate with our church <laughs> because our church, you guys, we would not have made it if you had not come alongside and we don't ever, ever forget all that you have done to help our family, help our business. People in this room helped our business during that time. Um, it's just, it's so remarkable to think about all the ways our New Life family literally carried us through that season. So when we said, hey, how can we celebrate tonight? is our family's celebration to the best family ever for supporting us. Thank you. So they called in an ice cream truck and they said, put it on our tab. Whatever you want, go for it tonight. We're going to do that, but not before this. Jordan and I have been playing drums together for 20 plus years. So... We're going to sing Great Are You, Lord, because we need to celebrate. And look at this, look at this mane. Look at this mane. And I just want to thank, uh, um, there's like hundreds of people that have prayed for me when I was having cancer. So I just really thank for that. Brody the Brave. So what we're going to do. Whenever something good happens, the people of God shout and sing, okay? So we're going to sing, great are you, Lord. You give life, right? You give life. Great are you, Lord. So Jordan and I are going to jump on some toms back here and play it out with them. So let's sing. Let's rip the roof off and worship. Come on. You give life. Come on, church. You are
Let's give it up for what God has done again. So, tonight's the night to eat the treats, to get some ice cream, to cut, forget the calories. Uh, I'll pray in Jesus' name that these calories don't count. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So go for it tonight, and uh, thank you, Linscombs, for giving us this ice cream. Go in God's grace and peace. <laughs> 